everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. We are in for such a treat today. I literally have the rock star of Nutritionette on. Jump with Jill is the world's only rock and roll nutrition show. And today we have Jill herself on. We covered a lot of territory in this interview from the research that Jill has that proves the efficacy of her program to how you find the right people to support you when you have a purpose-driven business. And of course, all of us in school nutrition are working in a purpose-driven field. And you know, sometimes it can be difficult to find people who are as invested in the mission as you are. But Jill has mastered this and she took out the time to tell us a little bit about her HR process as well. So this is a fascinating episode. Stay tuned. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus time to handle business. Breakfast you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Jill, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. So I noticed you on LinkedIn and now that I've done more research and I see that you've done 3,500 presentations, I don't understand how it's taken me so long to hear about you, but I was blown away by your energy and how engaged your audience is with nutrition ed. I come from a public health background. I've been in settings where I've seen dietitians attempt to get children excited about nutrition, and they they obviously weren't having as much fun as your audience seems to be having. So I knew I wanted to get in touch with you and pick your brain a little bit about how we structure engaging nutrition ed and how you came to do what you do. So for people who like me, are just recently learning about you, or today is the first time they're hearing about you. Can you define what Jump with Jill is? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Jump with Jill is the world's only rock and roll nutrition show. And we're changing the way kids learn about health because we want to make a music-based approach to what kids are doing instead of just saying, don't eat this and don't eat that. That causes disease. And please sit still while I'm talking. We need to improve the reputation of how we deliver these science-based, evidence-based messages that are so important. All the things that we study, we can distill them down in a way that makes kids really excited about being healthy. So our lead product is our live show, and that is Jump With Jill, and that's what we're really known for. And as a From that show, everything else emanates. So we have danceable music videos, cafeteria posters, Uh, morning announcements, lyric videos, kind of anything that you can widget into the school day. Um, As you probably know in your work, uh, everything has to be common core state standard matched in the classroom. And we have to teach math, literacy, and science. So what I did was make everything two to three minutes. It can just be shoehorned in there by the classroom teacher to follow up the show. So now we're going from our 60 minutes a day to our six to eight hours a week, which is what we're showing that kids need in order to make a real behavior change. When I started this, I really wanted to be as effective as advertising. If we could convince kids to buy sugar water at a 300% markup, I think we could, you know, make watermelon cool. Yeah, but actually that's a tall order. That's fascinating. And I love how your mission is so clear and concise. Public health definitely has had trouble competing with commercial uh, products and manufacturers of less than ideal food products. How did you realize that it was possible to compete? I usually hear people in public health talking about the difference in public health marketing and commercial marketing in kind of a defeatist kind of way, thinking, man, we just can't compete. We don't have any money. How can we make watermelon cool? How did you even have this vision? I come from music. So I was in a rock band for a decade with my brother and 
I look at things the way that I look at marketing my band. So if you've been to like a street festival or you've been to uh, any kind of music festival, the smallest bands are the ones that are working the hardest to get your attention. They'll hand out flyers. They'll put it in chalk on the pavement. Uh, They will have a conversation with you. They'll carry around headphones and ask you to check out their band. That's how I think about this sort of more guerrilla style approach that we're, we're saying, look over here because this is, you're, you're missing out on the most amazing thing. And did you know that advertisers are buying your eyes and ears? They're, they're doing all these really divisive things to get your attention when you already know what to do, you know, to drink more water, you know, to eat more fruits and vegetables and, you know, to exercise. Like it's not a secret. We have figured this out and kids will tell you that they know this. But clearly, we have an epidemic that's caused all kinds of diseases, and we're paying for that with our tax dollars. So it is not a knowledge problem. And I think that's what's always interesting. Like, you know, as a dietitian, when you're on an airplane and you're like, I'm a dietitian, and then you just like let it sit for a second, and you're like, what crazy diet are you going to ask me about? But whatever's in the news is very interesting. What do you think about glutens? Where are the glutens? I'm like, well, it's... (laughs) <laughs> like where do you begin? I don't know where to start. Um, what about acai? What about uh, uh, hikma? That's a thing now, right? Um, I heard it prevents cancer. Drink more red wine. That helps. Wait, okay. We're, we definitely are. I think the hard part about a profession is we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again. Mm. And that's what we're marketing is the same thing over and over again. But you know, I'm a parent as well, and I think it's important to remember telling your kid one time to do something, it really hasn't ever worked for me. And I have little, little kids, they're five and two. So like, it takes a lot of proximity and and time, but like, they're not going to learn all that in one, certainly one sitting or one time. So we've learned that over time. So how do we spice up the message? Well, that's really where I bring my music background in. So I am a registered dietitian and I am a master's level dietitian. Actually, I did my uh, master's at Columbia Teachers College and I really specialized in nutrition education and then I have all this music background and I really put those two things together. I say that in the show, I put my love of food and my love of music together to create the world's only and therefore the greatest rock and roll nutrition show. But it started with the music because I felt like if we're going to, like if you go in the shower and you're humming the new Taylor Swift song and you're like, oh, it's just so catchy, you know, that you get mad about it because it's like, it's just so infectiously happy melody that you're humming, we can do the same thing with health and wellness. about, for example, breakfast, right? You, you work in food service, so you know how important breakfast is, but breakfast has a lower utilization than lunch. So how do we make it more exciting? Well, we sing and dance about it. So we say, get a get, get, get me going, get a get, get, get me going, get a get, get, get me going, get a get, get, get me breakfast. And I have- love that video, actually. I've watched it several times. It was really fun to make. Um, at the time, the Anna Kendrick Cups video had come out, and I really liked how she, I got a ticket for a long way around. The, that video um, yeah. really inspired me to make the sounds of percussion in the kitchen. And those sounds are all organic. Those are all the real sounds we oh, used wow. in the studio. So the actual recording has the wrapper of the cereal box, and it has the clanging of the agogo bells actually upside down cereal bowls. 
So when I, when I make my music, I think about the palette that I want to use in terms of the instrumentation. And that's what I take into the studio. So like, I look like a junk collector when I come in, because I, I go to Goodwill and I like bang all around and I find stuff that sounds interesting. And then I bring it in. Like we have a recycling song and I went and got a bunch of different trash from our neighbors and, um, and made our song about recycling. And it's, it's just a really, it's a really cool beat on a trash can. So that's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about when I create my program is I'm thinking music first. And when you lead with, with that side of things, the thing that you are really passionate about, I'm also passionate about nutrition. Clearly this is my life, but like I have the degree in nutrition, but then my vehicle is music and it moves people. So I feel like I really get the best job in the world because I bring the first rock concert the kids ever see to their school. They don't have to buy tickets. And they're just like, I mean, their faces, it's just, it's just priceless. So that's fabulous. So yeah, you've definitely married the two when did that spark come to you? Was that when you were working on your master's and focusing on nutrition ed? So the, the spark really came when you're tasked with your master's thesis and they're like, come up with something interesting. And they, they placed me in New York City public schools, which is a tough audience. And it's an after school program. So they were already checked out. So at the time I was um, working on my, uh, my album from my band at the exact same time. So I brought my guitar and I started singing what is now famously known as the bone rap. These are your bones. You gotta work them out. And I played a backbeat. You know, it was, it was so great. I'm playing, I'm playing air guitar right now. And then I did this song called the beat of the body. And I had the kids uh, use like a musical round, like row, row your boat. And they did a beat of the body. Ooh, ooh, beat of the body. Ooh, ooh, everybody move your body. And you build the parts of the body with the heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. And the lungs, boom. And the muscles. So, and it, it was like life changing because the kids wanted to know where they could find the music. Oh, Not only did I get their attention, but they wanted more. And that's when I realized I'm onto something. So the, I like to tell the story a lot because it is my greatest failure and my greatest failure is now my greatest success. And that was, at the time, our band was signed and our record label was like, you're not writing good enough songs, so we're going to end your contract, which was devastating because I thought I would be like the next whatever. And then I showed our, our, our team, our label team, the songs I was writing in New York City public schools as part of my master's thesis. And he called me off the record and he said, this is the best stuff you've written all year. You should do this. So he helped me A&R my first record and that's when Jump With Joe was born. So ending my like mainstream music career completely opened the door into the next thing that I really wasn't expecting. Oh, that is such a great story. And considering how now all you hear about in marketing for medium-sized businesses is that you need to niche down. And that that is where tremendous opportunity for success is. And you nailed it. There is nobody else who has this unique set of skills. I could be on, you know, (laughs) like this, like niching down. I mean, I'm the only one I know of that does, does this in terms of making these original songs. I've heard a lot of parody. I think when people hear music based nutrition program, they think parody. So they're thinking, Oh, you must change the word to, current pop songs. And then you just change the words to nutrition. I actually create original pop songs. So if you guys want to check it out, it's jumpwithjill.com slash listen, and you can check out all the music. It's also on Spotify, but they're, they're original pop songs about being healthy. (laughs) That's excellent because we're always looking for more music to play since the kids in our district. Well, maybe it's everywhere, but like food brings people together. So does music. And especially little kids are so into dancing around for whatever reason. So usually when we have events, we try and create playlists and it's hard. It's hard to get a really cool sounding, contemporary sounding health and food related playlist going. Yeah, they tend to be pretty cheesy. A lot of kids music, the bar is really low in terms of like the kids music. Um, the way it's produced is very, um, it's just very poorly done. They don't spend budgets on it. The best records for kids are when mainstream artists like Jewel or um, the Bare Naked Ladies, when they have kids, then they make kids albums because they sound like 
music you would otherwise want to listen to. And I think that's the guiding principle that I use is I want to be able to submit our record for best children's album to, to the Grammys, right? I want to be able to nominate this for an Emmy award because I want the production to be that high because if I'm going to compete, I'm going to have a graphic designer create our logo. I'm not going to just draw it, right? It's going to be something that that's going to look like what kids are used to seeing. Yeah. And were you that business oriented from your days of getting your music career up and going, or does this go back even farther than that? It goes back slightly further than that. Uh, My dad has run a third generation uh, contracting company my whole life, certainly. So I just always saw that he worked very long hours and he works very hard. He does manual labor and he's a general contractor. So he builds all kinds of things. And watching that and then running a band is like, you realize, like I watch a promotion company set something up for a client and I'm like, oh, we, we would, we would do that for you. <laughs> like I wouldn't yeah. hide that out. We, I wouldn't sub that out. I would, I would do that as a service offering because I just, I don't trust people that aren't, you know, close to the best to handle my brand. So yeah. it's, it's, it's been a very interesting uh, space to walk into when people are used to that. And I say, oh, no, we're, we're a turnkey organization, which you've, you've said the word turnkey, um, that we handle everything that we are able to, to plug and play the program in your school. And you don't have to do anything. Like, you, uh, you don't have to set up microphones. You don't yeah. have to, like, you have to do anything. You just have to find the budget, which is, you know, its own thing. But that's enough work. Find the money and we'll take care of everything. So we're touring... Uh-huh. Um, Garland ISD right now. We're we're down in Texas near Dallas, and they they're so pleased that it's like you just tell the school we're coming, and then that's it, and the show happens. Yeah, spread the word. Could every <laughs> could everybody do that? You're right. People have enough things to do. Turnkey. That would be great if there were more. Uh, service providers that tried to operate from that level, even if it means the whole package costs more. That's totally worth it. Totally. I like, I like hearing you say that because I think sometimes, you know, how much does a school assembly cost? I mean, there, it varies between, on average, 200 to $600, which is going to get you a clown that needs a microphone and it's going to be a scheduling nightmare for you. So it, yeah. it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's good that you know the, you know the value of what you're offering. So when did you realize that, well, this is a better question. Okay. Since your dad exposed you to that entrepreneurial spirit early on, but maybe not the creative aspect, what do your parents think about you living off of your creativity? And did they think that was going to work out? (laughs) Well, hold up, because my mom is an art teacher. Okay. Taught for 35 years in the public school system, high school art. So that's why that is this yeah. <laughs> because of my parents. And then I run the company with my brother. So they couldn't be m- more happy that we get to run this company together. So oh, that's only so cool. Is it just two? It is just two of you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We run the company together. So I think they're pretty pleased of how it's all come together. and like all their, all that they've poured into us is like, oh, wow. Yeah. You can totally see how a contractor and an art teacher would make jump with chill. Oh, I, I can see that. <laughs> That's excellent. Oh, I love that, that you guys are the only two siblings that so you get along well enough to work together all the time. Yeah. They did a great job. Your parents should be very proud. So, <laughs> can you tell us more about what does the content of the show typically cover? Sure. We start out every show with a, a song called Healthy is Good for Me. And it's really wrapped around the framework. We set up the, the foundation that we are responsible for the choices that, that we make and that you're the only one that can decide. So we say, healthy is good for me, my body. Take a good look at me, my body. You better like what you see, my body. Because healthy is good for me, my body. And then we talk about good sources of energy, what's going to fuel your body to make you last the entire day. We sing about breakfast, which you have heard. We sing about superpower vegetables. That's my 
my superpower vegetable up there it. with a cape. And then we sing about uh, fruit, naturally sweet fruit, which is, of course, better than candy. So we sing, nature's candy. I got a sweet tooth for my favorite fruit, nature's candy. And then we sing about water. And that's an Irish drinking song, water drinking song, Irish water drinking song. <laughs> and then um, we have a bone wrap at the end of the show about getting your calcium for strong bones. So what we're trying to do, especially from a food service director perspective, is we serve as your educational piece. So when you, um, there's a lot of um, mandates coming down that you, you have to be doing so much nutrition education to support your, basically to market your own food service program, you can basically delegate that to us and we go school to school and implement this, implement our show as part of that. So it's, we've been, we've been helping people like you solve that problem of like, you can't get to every classroom with your cart, you know, and how do you get these tastings out? So um, one of our cool projects is working with departments of agriculture. We work with the Texas department of agriculture and we do taste testings of locally grown Texas produce after the show. And we have a hundred percent try rate. Wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I saw you had a lot of stats on the site that clearly support I mean, it's, totally dietitian thing all the way that you actually have the numbers and the data to support the efficacy of your program. Yeah. What I was hearing was um, just from my peers and rightfully so you need to get the data to prove this works. And I said, but we have all the advertising data to show that this works. And I have a mentor in, in research. She basically forced me to do it. I didn't want to because surveying kids, as you probably know, is so hard and to get them to do a pre, a post, and a follow-up survey and track the kid and pair the data, I mean, it, it's very hard. And so our ends are on the smaller side. Our ends are two to 300. Our teacher data is around eight, you know, seven to 800 per, per study. So it's not NIH, but like we are a tiny, tiny company, and we're able to show that our, our show drives school lunch participation and school breakfast participation. We drive milk sales. And that when new vegetables are served, that the kids are trying them at lunch. They are, we are building their confidence to try new foods. We're making them more willing to want to exper- experiment with new foods. And they get excited about nutrition. That's like huge. in a survey, we, we see their enthusiasm track up before and after, after the show and at follow-up. And, and oh, I'm a total nerd. I apologize. But... Um, we maintained the increase from post to follow-up. And that's when I was like, shoot, this is something for real. Well, and how far out was the follow-up? The follow-up was four weeks. Oh, yeah. And the milk data was 20 days. But we maintained the increase at follow-up. And so my researcher was like, this is, you realize, this is like you are you are onto something really, really big. Find some funding and do a really big study. And I was like, soon (laughs) yeah but that's what we're doing yeah awesome that's really impressive because I've seen you know you see those tiny increases when you just make it more readily available and I really think what's missing is the fun it's not fun enough make healthy rock absolutely oh god I'm so excited So I'm like, I'm wishing that money grew on trees. Have you seen anyone in particular who has grants out there that are a good fit for getting a program like yours into the school system? Sure. We, we work with so many different kinds of funds. So on a smaller scale, um, we work with um, things like the Let's Move program. They do small like mini grants. And then we work with Team Nutrition and they get a substantial amount of money. And then we've worked with PEP grants and SNAP-Ed funds and FNEP and CAFCFP, the child, yep, yep, that one. <laughs> but a lot of different funds that in some way serve students. Oh, and Title I, that's the other one. So a lot of Head Starts and Title Ones are within the elementary school. So if you're a Title I school, you have funds to do nutrition because nutrition is a very important part of Head Start. So then we perform the show pre-K through five for the entire school, and there's your funding. So that's that has been a very big big improvement to a school that says we have low income, high need students. I don't know what to do. How many title one schools do you have? Nine? Well, shoot. 
now you just got nine shows and they write it into their budget. And then that's how we implement the program. So really, if you have an acting budget that's for marketing or education, or you're working with a grant program that has a pillar for nutrition or arts, we're eligible. You're eligible. So it takes planning. Like I'll get a call a year out, you know, and then I have to be patient, but helping people find the money and help them articulate that in a budget has been, you know, sort of the biggest change to our company as of late. Cause I realized people get busy, they want it, but they're busy. And it's like, let's talk about what your marketing budget looks like. Let's talk about what your education bu- budget looks like and, and, and building that into it and planning for it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome that you guys are looking at supporting people and finding the funding because it is out there, but sometimes having to look for it, it, you know, it can be a little tricky with all the other things on your plate. So yeah, that's smart. Turnkey all the way. But I can't apply for it, right? You right. as the district have to. So if you are excited about getting this program, I will help you write your essays. I will, I will basically help you fill the application out because I obviously know our program the best. And then and then you're really good at, at helping connect the dots with just the network within your school of like, you know, everyone fights for budget dollars and and those are conversations that you get to have. And then I just, I just help get the right language in there. So it gets everybody on board. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. I love that. We're lucky in our school district because they're, if the superintendent is very clear on the impact that good nutrition has on academic outcomes. So we don't, you know, we get a lot of cooperation. So I hear other people are constantly having to clarify why something like this would be important, but we can jump straight into where is the money and how can we do it? Something that's been nice, I think over, I've been doing this now for 13 years, because remember this was my graduate thesis, um, but I've watched it turn and take shape. It's still a problem. It's just sort of looked at now. It's more accepted that we need to be doing something at the school level around nutrition and even though maybe the Common Core aren't reflecting that yet, I think people are looking for outside vendors to help fill that need. Yeah. So it's been great to get the program into schools. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So have you thought about in the future, do you think you want to continue doing in-person events or do you have a vision of bringing this to the masses, like really competing with these larger companies and all their marketing for not so nutritious foods like on cable or, you know, something like that. You flatter me. I would, I would love to be Oprah um, and have this be my platform. I mean, that is, that is my goal. And that's what I set out to do when I was a young 20, you know, 20 something. And what I've realized over time is that our partnerships, the districts we partner with are bigger the growers that we partner with are bigger. We're with more state agencies where I'm speaking at higher profile events. Like the, the, the tide is turning that this, this program, that this little baby program we made is, it is really making an impact. And I think like, if I can be patient, I think this will be something that is going to, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And that's very exciting. And to your live event thing, um, that's something that, you know, as social media took over, as everyone got a smartphone, as everyone uh, is online and on screen, having a live show is even more of a differentiator than I ever thought before. That we still, kids still learn in person best. You know, they still learn best from people who love them. And when we, the way we deliver this of respect your body through healthy choices, we are there because we love you and we want the best for you. So we are going to rock out for this next hour. I mean, we deliver it with such love and appreciation for our audience that um, I, the kids really respond to that, obviously. I mean, they've done all kinds of child development research on that. And that's my innate approach as an educator, but but that is that bond is real with our audience that we build, and I don't think our live event will ever go away. It's yeah. it's, I mean, we're doing hundreds of shows a year, and it it really is, it fills a need for people. This out of classroom opportunity that is going to teach them something, and that is in person. 
Yeah. And it makes sense as a musician, you see touring doesn't go away, no matter how massive you become. Well, and touring and- is the only way that artists make money because I mean, right. you get 99 cents for every Spotify play. That's it. Does it vary based on one cent, one cent for every Spotify play? One cent. Is that for everybody? Like that's what Madonna would get to? Oh my goodness. He probably gets two cents. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really low. Like you can't make a living even with a hit. Well, maybe with a hit you could, but it's kind of like how um, actors have residuals on TV, right? Like if you, music is different that way. You get a, you get a placement. It's usually an upfront and you get paid once. So live touring is where, where you make a living. That's why yeah. artists are out all the time. That's why the Rolling Stones are still out there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they did it because they, their fans demanded or just want it so bad that, wow. Their mansions, though, you know, and that's, that's hard to keep up with if you didn't invest properly, you know? Yeah. Wow. That is good information. That really adds a layer. I don't know how much that changed from the CD selling days. So when you started your company, were people pretty much streaming their music 13 years ago or what was that like? No, that was CDs and we sold a lot of CDs, tens of thousands of CDs and DVDs. Oh, remember that? Um, and now most of the stuff is all streamed and, and on our website, the music and the videos, obviously YouTube and Spotify being the main, the main ones, but you'll see behind me, there's some of these um, educational tools. There's our Texas crate for the Texas department of agriculture, and there's the milk crate for the United dairy industry of Michigan. And I point those out because those are physical tools. And what we realized was because everything's digital, we, we don't see everything. But when you physically hand someone a box, they are going to open the box. I saw some research on um, that people open all mail because they're checking it to make sure it's not something like from the government or something that it's 100% open rate for mail. So think about that, right? You don't open spam emails because you, you, you probably even have a filter that you don't even see it. But like physical mail, you're still opening. So what we find in the research with the, with the tools, because you're thinking, why are they still paying for tools if everyone's doing you know, digital stuff, what's physical, but then also they prioritize it because they see it. And also schools are a little behind with technology. So you kind of have to go where they are because some of them still have the wheeled technology cart. So oh, yeah. like, they still have a, you know, a DVD player. So now they have everything they need to be successful. There are no excuses. And that's what you see is you'll see this spike of traffic on the Texas Department of Ag site as we promote the tour. And then after we go to the school, we see this big spike of traffic on our website as well for everybody to stream. But it's a, it's a big cue to action to have this beautiful yeah. box on your desk. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, there's definitely a 100% open rate on physical mail. So pretty smart. Look at that. So and your marketing skills and marketing knowledge, is that something you had to build along the way? Because I know in a lot of undergrad and master's programs, people, they're not really geared toward entrepreneurship or marketing, which is unfortunate because you need marketing no matter what you end up doing. Even if you're inside of a company, it's a good knowledge set to have. When did you develop your marketing skills? Well, there's, I think I look at it two ways. There's marketing in terms of like how we sell health, right? We're marketing health habits to kids. And that is like inside my brain. That's just how I think is like how to message things that, that I know into simpler, more digestible bits, pun intended. And then the, I think what you're really speaking to is though, like the marketing of like the Jump With Jill program as a whole, um, which also then affects recruitment and employees, right? I have nine employees and they are the best human beings that I've ever met. And I love spending time with them. They're my work family. Like that whole marketing the job, like you could work here someday. That's a whole thing that's called HR, but it's really marketing your company, getting the word out that you hire people, you, you have a salaried job. And then there's the marketing to, um, to open new markets. So um, meeting, I was just at the Produce Marketing Association uh, last week in Anaheim, California, and meeting with growers and realizing I, about a year ago, I realized we solve a problem for them. We take a program into schools and schools can't afford our show. So we develop these partnerships with, with growers, producers, dairy councils, like whoever is doing healthy stuff 
and they want to donate the show to schools of high need. And you're like, so there you go. I just connected the dots. So really marketing is being able to find out who needs your services and who who's going to also benefit from the services. I always thought, well, kids and teachers are going to benefit from my services, but you know who else can benefit are companies that, and I'm calling them companies, but really like people that make the food that we serve in our school cafeterias, they want kids eating more pears or they want kids eating more corn or more watermelon, right? We've got to get that fluid milk up or we don't get reimbursed. Like you have a vested interest in having our show because we're going to drive sales for you. So I mean that in the, like, it, it can sound like I'm being like really corporate, but it's like, if you, the kids need the show, you need them to eat school lunch. There you go. I solved two problems. I have an exciting show for these kids and I help drive participation in school lunch. Bam. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say you might sound too corporate, but I think that that is the missing link with a lot of dietitians is that they aren't thinking enough about the bottom line because it's great to have passion about something, but you can expect that to be contagious and not really show people what value you're adding. Like you got to remember that the bottom line matters. Health matters, but money doesn't grow on trees. So what's the benefit? And things like maximizing people's budgets of like, you're going to get all 600 kids in one room for an hour I mean, that's very cost effective in terms of anything else you would try and implement. Plus it's not going to take your time. You have so many other things to do. So I think, so to answer your question in a sort of a process way, I think I learned what I was really selling. Like I thought I was selling the show, but what I was actually selling was a solution to people's lack of time and really addressing their desire to have an effective program, but not having time to make it or find it or deal with it because it's like, it's so big and it's so important. You know, those tasks you procrastinate, you know, the big ones. Yeah. (laughs) We're the little step towards that. Like that pile of laundry is never going to get folded. So you know what, just every day, just find a couple stray socks that have mates and just start with that. It's kind of like that. And then when I, when I realized what I was doing is I was helping people sort something, sort something out and solve that problem. So that was a revelation. And it was such a revelation that I actually built a separate website for a lot of our, our mission driven organizations. So like we work with a lot of hospitals, for example, like a lot of healthcare and they do community programming as part of their mission. But you know what they do generally is they hire someone to start a program they name it some cute name. It goes out to 12 schools. They didn't do any ROI. And they're like, that's cute. But now we have a little bit of a downturn. So we're not going to invest in that program anymore. Dead. But yeah. when, when those organizations work with us, they have a consistent annual presence in the community. They get their name on articles. They, schools are thrilled because they have this, now they have this great relationship with the, with the hospital. And like, I didn't realize I was doing all that stuff, but really it's like, I've become like this networking goddess that way where it's like, oh, yeah. oh you're in Wisconsin. Oh, Upland Hills Health. This school can't afford the show. How will we do this? They're like, yay! Because everyone wants to give and everyone wants has a need for nutrition. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That's really excellent. And that's good advice for anyone else out there who has a service that they want to offer in their community that they think would be beneficial, but that the organizations that need it the most may struggle to pay for it. So yeah, you really thought that through. I could see though that that may take a little time to get that level of clarity. But even when it comes to large corporations selling like sugar water, like you mentioned, they don't say, hey, I've got some sugar water. It tastes really great. You're going to love it. They pair it with other things. People want community. People want happiness. People want a break. And that is what they sell. And you can see it in their marketing. They are clear. They don't sell sugar water. They sell a break. They sell happiness. They sell self-care, you know, whatever. You need time for yourself. But uh, they really master that. And it comes through very clearly in all of their marketing. So that's definitely a good note for everybody in public health to really think about a better way to present what you want to share than just what it is. What does it give them access to? Because when you're selling healthful habits, 
you're really selling access to your best life and being able to do what you want to do with the energy that you need to get it done. Like you're giving people freedom, essentially, is how I see it. And that's one of the things I was interested in when I moved from public, a section of public health where I felt like my impact could have been bigger to school nutrition, where you get more face time with people who are at an impressionable stage in their lives. I want to help people live their best life. It isn't necessarily about pushing one food component. It's the whole package. It's the physical activity, the joyful movement and trying a variety of things and enjoying it because what I want for them is for them to be as happy as possible. Like life is full of problems, but nutrition doesn't have to be one of them. We really aim to celebrate healthy habits and really turn it into that's what, uh, that's what you do to be like Jill and DJ and this ultimate role modeling. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So most of your employees, did they, were they drawn to you because you clearly communicate what you're about and they stay with you for a long time? What's a tip you can share with us when you have a purpose-driven organization, mm-hmm. how do you find your perfect fit? Sure. So there's base criteria first that you weed out, obviously. So they have to have, um, in our case, we look for certified teachers that have music or acting backgrounds of some kind. So they're the, um, they studied education because they love to perform kind of people. Like I'll have an audience every day. (laughs) That's kind of the teacher we gravitate towards. Um, actors who have like a mission in mind of like, I don't want to just act. I want to do something I want to use art to solve social problems. So that's kind of the, the weirdo that we look for to begin with. Like they have lots of skills. They're the person that puts like, I can do cartwheels and headstands on their resume. That, that person. And I also play the clarinet and I can make my arm fart like a, <laughs> my hand in it. like that's kind of the person I'm looking for. So once they get there, then um, we, we spend time with them. So what I find right now in the HR world is that inter- job interviews are very transactional. I want to make sure you are a person. All the things on your resume are true. And are you available to start? And really what you want to do, you have that on a piece of paper and that's great. And I like to hear how people talk about themselves. I let them basically read their resume for me, walk me through your resume. That's always a great place to start. Um, I I listen to how they talk about other people that they've worked with and their team. We run a very close knit group of people and we all know each other's dirt. And it's super important that you're capable of keeping that close to the vest because when you're, you know, on tour, that's when, that's when you see everything. And that leads to the third thing that I call the airplane test, which is, can you sit with that person for eight to 12 hours? Cause you're going on tour with them. You're going to be in a car with them. There's nowhere else to go. So they have to be someone who's going to lock in with you. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to also be an extrovert and also be uh, this kind of communicator, or this disc profile or this, you know, there's all these different tests you can do. And, and people have encouraged me to do that with my staff. And I'm like, do you like them? Yeah. You want to be around them. If they make you want to choke them, they're probably not a great fit for your organization, you know? And it, and that sounds very like, I'm sure I could pull some data of like what it is that I'm looking for, but it's this immeasurable to me. It's immeasurable. It's, it's that you are kind, respectful, and curious. And I need to see that from you when we spend four hours. Our, our real job interview is about four hours. Wow. Yeah. We go to see a show. We go out to lunch. We chat about things that are important to you. I just see how you are. And then, and then we go to the second interview and you audition. So I don't take a lot of those interviews, though, because you have to like, get through the baseline criteria first, right? So like, if you're a singing teacher, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a couple hours with you. I want to know all about you. So not every organization can scale this way though. Right. I mean, that's not sustainable for like me to be out of the office that much that I could have like a hundred employees. So eventually it would break. But like, I think the thing to think about is finding people who, who, who really want to be there and that you can, they can propel your organization forward by, with their curiosity. That's, that's the secret. Yeah. 
That that really you've said a mouthful because you find that curious people have better critical thinking skills. And if you're not present to show them how all the pieces connect, they will care enough to take the initiative to find a solution. And they're self-motivated. They don't need you to stay on top of them to complete tasks. And they want to find the best way to do it. They won't just be satisfied with one way. They'll be inquisitive. And like we mentioned before, well, I mentioned before the call that I find that not everybody is into professional development once they've satisfied the minimum requirements of their field or of their job. Well, a curious person is never done studying. Never satiated. And that is something that we share in our company. So like you're asking about marketing, I have learned so much about business and marketing. I, I listen to eBooks. I listen to podcasts. I take business classes. I go to networking events. Like, and I've already, (laughs) I've already filled my credits through 2025. This next cycle, (laughs) my assistant was helping me. She's, she actually submitted my my five-year plan because I had enough hours, but it's just like being out and learning and being like, Oh, here's, well, here's the trend. You know how I found you and I found your, your post. Like when you sent me a note, yes. my assistant was on LinkedIn and she saw your note and she said, Oh, she wants to do a podcast. That sounds really great. Would you like to do that? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And she said, you know, she's, she's in food service and we're trying to go to, we're trying to put a Southern tier to a tier. We're trying to put a Southern tour together. And she noticed that you were kind of in my area of interest. We're going down to Atlanta from Pittsburgh. So I'm looking for schools along the way. And when you came up, it was like, well, yeah, I'd love to speak to her in a podcast. That would be great. You know, so like she's helping me find the patterns in the data. So when I, my brain is always very full. I'm always figuring things out and solving problems and what the next thing is. And then she, the way that she thinks she's really looking at like, Hey, you mentioned that you were looking for schools in this area and this person would love to speak to you. And right. So it's like, she's helping me volley opportunity, right? They say you get luckier. The (laughs) the opportunity is really luck and hard work. So (laughs) it's like, or luck, luck is opportunity and hard work. So yes, yes. Oh yeah. That's awesome. When some of the hard work can come from someone you hired well. Yes. So exactly. So back to HR is like when they understand how you think and they're in the plan and you've enrolled them, then they just start volleying you things that you're like, that is what I was looking for. And then you just engage it instead of like researching everything. Like you just, I feel like I used to spend a lot more time in the research phase, the R and D phase. And now it's a lot more execution on my day to day, which feels good. Cause I, like as a CEO, I feel like you need to kind of get there eventually to, to really just, you're just kind of like, now I have a magic wand that I go around. Right. And use. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you have put a lot of time into this though. So everybody needs to be realistic about how yeah. long it may take to get it, anywhere near it's been 13 years. So yeah. I think my magic wand, it's only going to get more powerful because as I bring in more people into the organization and they learn, they learn this process, they're only additive and they're, and it gives more people the same wand. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all good. And that's, that's what people would call empowering leaders. So that's, that's what we're doing over here. Excellent. Yeah. And you can tell you probably do a lot of management, managerial science research as well, because that is what everyone who's actually looking at the data is saying helps with employee engagement and retention. And if your employees aren't engaged, how successful can your organization be really? And when you're bigger, you may not notice they're not engaged, but I would imagine with a smaller team, you would be able to tell they're not engaged, but it may not be so easy to find the solution, but you're already ahead of it. We fixed this problem about five years ago because everyone has a lot of autonomy in our organization. I encourage it. I want it. I do not want to deal with every single problem that we wouldn't ever move forward. So I teach them everything I know as best as I know it and then say, now, now fly a little bird, you can do this. And then obviously checking in very frequently, especially when they're new, right? It's like everyday check-ins and then, and then the, the check-ins are loose. It gets a little bit looser, but like, especially with like the Texas department of agriculture, they're implementing basically a seven prong program with research, educational tools, teacher, teacher engagement, uh, 
taste testings and the live show and all the logistics involved in executing the live show because that is the most complicated thing to actually implement in a day. Oh, wow. And I have two new people this year and they're crushing it because they're, they're so excited to have so much responsibility. It's out of college. I mean, that's unheard of. You get some peon job and people are mean to you and you get a really thick skin. And then you eventually someday a decade later become a manager. And I really want them to, to give me feedback on how we can continue to improve the program. These are smart people. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hire ringers, so I, w- I want their feedback and input. Oh, that's so exciting. That you just you have so much experience and so much knowledge to share. But I know you're at Fancy, so you're going to be super busy. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. We covered a lot of territory. What should districts do if they want to get your program in front of their kids? Oh my goodness. Well, you can go to jumpwithjill.com and send us a booking inquiry and just basically tell us where your school's located and then we can find you at dates and times that will work. That's it. Okay. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with? A little nugget of Jump With Jill wisdom? Well, I would say uh, just thanks for all the hard work that you do, you know, at the ground level. This wouldn't be possible. I wouldn't be able to be a supplement to you if you weren't doing the hard work that you're doing. So um, I speak at a lot of SNA conferences, School Nutrition Association, and sometimes people are so down and out because it's like our budget got cut and, you know, and I, and I understand all that. We're here to support you. Keep going. We, we will change this. It takes a long time to solve, solve a problem that's complicated. So So keep going. Never quit. Perfect. Okay, how great was that, you guys? I really don't feel like there's anything else to add. Make sure you visit the website so you can see the show notes and my favorite videos from Jump With Jill. And I'm sure you're going to want to share this episode if you go to schoolnutritiondietitian.com or schoolnutritionrd.com. You'll see easily shareable links there. I'm going to close out with another song from Jump With Jill. This is Boom.